1: This is Scott Holtz with Rivers in the Desert, and uh, we come to you via the internet, great technology, isn't it? Um, the last few months I've been captivated by a macro doctrine or a macro stream of the Hebrew Scriptures that flows right into the New Testament uh, through the person of Yeshua or Jesus the Messiah. And what I'm seeing is the end-time apocalyptic grand finale of the Jewish people coming back to the Messiah in an incredible migration, not back to Jerusalem, not back to Zion, but out to the desert region, to a place that even Moses spoke about called Bamakom or Hamakom, or the place, or in this place, that the patriarchs knew about. It's a fascinating fascinating study. And if you have your Bibles open, I'll go ahead and get them open to the New American Standard and Jeremiah chapter 50. Uh, I just feel the glory of God right now. And um, hallelujah, I just want to uh, get my thoughts gathered here, read some things to you so we could flow together in this prophetic reconnaissance teaching of these last days. Are you guys ready? Here we go. Um, there are several obscure texts of the scriptures that has captivated my macro outlook of the whole Christian service this last few months that we need to revisit again today. It is the foundation of everything that we should be desiring and believing for in this exciting new hour or else we're just building our own little kingdom and then religiously and selfishly asking God to bless our own carnal work and desires. If we can renew our minds to this scriptural objective that is embedded in the ancient Hebrew text We can thus walk out of the dying, current, Western idea of what Sunday services are supposed to be like, and subsequently help many other believers return back to the true central foundation of the Scriptures. I believe this objective return God's people or His sheep back to their original destiny is what so dynamically pleases Abba in this late hour. Come now and join me as I attempt to concisely uncover this location in this taping called The Place in the apocalyptic no-man's land of the Hebrew Scriptures. Meaning there was a place, there was a zone where our forefathers, the patriarchs, in the Judean wilderness, in the pasture land, set up an altar unto God, unto Adonai, unto El Shaddai, unto him who revealed himself in these covenant names. And these altars were commanded to be made of stones that no chisel, no axe, no tool of man had touched. It was an altar's made by natural stones, altars that were made not touched by the human man, human hand, or it was uncut. And this speaks of an incredible place of no man's land. And I think we need to get back to this place. I, I, I beg you, by the Spirit, I plead in the name of Jesus to open up your hearts to any leaders that are listening, any those that are involved in Christian service. We have too much PowerPoint presentation. There's no power in it, so what's the point? We have too many marketing ideas. We have too many man-made ideas. We are taking the chisel or our ideas, our demographic social studies of how to grow a group of people on a Sunday morning service and then asking God to bless that. And unknowingly, we have lost the hidden path into the glory realm. We have Become seeker sensitive instead of spirit sensitive. We become program based instead of presence based. And I'm going to tell you something in these last days, God's people, especially the prodigals, are not coming back to altars that we have built. It's like Peter seeing a theophany, seeing the Lord Himself, you know, just transformed in His glory on the Mount of Transfiguration in the Gospels, and then seeing Elijah and Moses appear and saying, okay, this is great. We're going to build three tabernacles for this event. This is an incredible event. We're going to build three tabernacles around this. And uh, God appears in a cloud and says, you know, be quiet. This is my son. Listen to him. Meaning everything God is doing is in his word, logos, made flesh, his son in this hour. And it's very fluid. The cloud is moving. It's very mobile. And God is not fixed to a location. See, we see this, brothers and sisters, in the book of Judges, that when David came back from conquering the Philistine, uh, Samuel had died, had passed away. We all think that Samuel is the last judge. He's not. David is actually the last judge, team or deliverer. And before David became king, he moved a deliverance. He set people free from their enemies under that spirit of justice anointing. Very powerful indeed, but when he became a king, he stepped into a monarchy system, a wineskin system that was already cursed, was already doomed. And no matter how much he was a man after God's own heart, he still fell back into his predecessor's same mistakes, which is Saul. What does Saul mean in Hebrew? Saul means to ask for something. Shaul. And then people got what they asked for. They got a uh, an anointed. Tall, handsome warrior from the tribe of Benjamin who later became a serial killer. And what I'm trying to say to you is that we're seeing good men, even like Saul and David, that they get into this monarchy system of what the people want, and they got to have good programs. They got to have good worship just to keep the demons away. Because when you enter into an old wineskin, When you began to persecute the true anointing, when you began to listen to the people rather than listen to God, uh, the Bible says evil spirits come into that zone. And normally it takes a Davidic-type worshiper to sweep that away. The point I'm trying to get at is this. David knew these problems. David ran from Saul. But he became king. He fell into the same problem. And he came back from after rescuing the ark, Um, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and he says, I want to build something for God. And uh, Nathan says to him, do all that's in your heart, because God is with you. And Nathan was a good prophet, but he totally missed it on this point. See, Nathan heard from heaven when David fell into sin, killed Bathsheba's husband, and committed adultery with her. And it's easy to flow in that prophetic anointing to pick out sin. But it's much more difficult to flow in the prophetic anointing When you have a leader or somebody that's set in God's position, tells you to do something. And we got to be people that flow with the Spirit, that know what the Spirit is saying, and not just move in repentance, and not just move in simple faith and and the doctrines of Hebrews chapter 6. We have to know the deeper realms of God in this hour. And so David says, I'm going to build something for God. And Nathan said, do all that's in your heart, God's with him. But God came to Nathan that night and startled him in a dream. And said, when did I ever ask anybody since I traveled in a mobile tent with the judges who I commanded to shepherd my people, when did I ask you ever to build me something? Meaning God's pattern, his original pattern of leadership, his original pattern, which the New Testament church was born out of, the original DNA is this place of mobility in the desert, not a farming lifestyle because when Israel fell into the farming agricultural processes, they took on the gods of the Canaanites, etc., Baal worship, etc. But when they were a nomadic people, when they were going from place to place, dwelling like Bedouin, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like David being a shepherd in the wilderness, they came to a place of knowing God's secret location, which is, Moses calls the place. God is content in moving in with judges, deliverers. In the New Testament today, if you've heard me teach on this before, but it worth, it worth um, repeating in this taped message to you, is that the Ephesians 5 ministry gifts that Paul talks about is a direct quotation from Psalm 68, which is a psalm of war, that Jesus ascended on high and gave gifts unto men. And this psalm of war is also quoted in Deborah's psalm, in chapter 5 of Deborah, meaning that when Paul says Jesus ascended on high and gave gifts unto men, and those gifts were apostle and prophet and, and Pastor and teacher, evangelists, etc. These were military gifts on the order of the judges, not the monarchy. They you may be thinking, well, aren't we kings unto Jesus? It says in Revelation chapter 1, and verse 6, that we are kings and priests unto, unto God. No, that's a mistranslation by the King James translation, because they were under uh, King James, under the monarchy. It should be much rather and easily translated, as modern translations say, we are, Revelation 1, 6, we are a kingdom of priests. We're not kings and priests, we're a kingdom of priests. There's only one king, and his name is Jesus. You have to understand how much God hates the monarchy system. It says in the book of Hosea, it says, all your evil was at Gilgal. I came to hate you at Gilgal. It says, you set up uh, kings and princes, but it was not by me. What happened at Gilgal that was so evil that caused God to attribute spiritual adultery, spiritual um, spiritual uh, moving away from God? What happened at that epicenter to cause Israel... To go into spiritual adultery what gilgal is where they anointed saul to be king not their choice samuel saul so let's go all the way back to the original dna of what god said when we don't obey god and we lean on the arm of the flesh or what we want or what people want we always get in problems jeremiah says cursed is a man who leans on the arm of the flesh We have to be people of the Spirit. No matter how hard it is, no matter how it may not attract people, we need in this hour to totally follow him. Amen? And not numbers and not money and not the current flow. So let's go back to the original beginning. the original beginning, God flowed in a tabernacle tent with his people. He anointed judges, okay, military leaders or deliverers, okay, to shepherd his people. And so this shepherding, I've come up with a term that's thoroughly scriptural called the desert shepherd warrior pattern. Now you see Jesus, he was in the desert, tested, conquered the enemy, came as a shepherd into Galilee, shepherd of the people, raised the dead, healed the sick, mighty wonders, gathered in the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but came a warrior, hallelujah, against not just the the devil and the evil spirits, but also against the religious leaders that controlled the temple system. He also came after the religious leaders that were moving out of the temple system into the pharisaical pattern called the synagogue system. He took on that establishment because he called them the false shepherds. He called them those things that Jeremiah spoke about in the Old Testament. So what we're getting back to is is for us to properly please God in this hour. It's not about having a church service. It's not about praise and worship. It's not about prayer. It's about having faith in the original pattern, the faith of Abraham, we need to go back to where God said to Abraham, you know, you believe me, therefore it's accounted to you as righteousness. What happened in that desert experience in a nomadic shepherding environment? And so this is what we're getting to here tonight. And so let me just throw this out to you. If we're being called to be judges rather than kings, and the only pattern God used to shepherd his people was the judges, we need to study up on this. Amen? Glory to God. So this is, this is a powerful concept. Um, but I want to talk about this place that David knew about, that the patriarchs knew about, called the place. It's a mystical, it's a spiritual place where heaven meets earth. Hallelujah. Where men are changed. Where, which caused Jacob to wrestle with an angel all night. Hallelujah. At that place. And to name the place Peniel, or I, the, the face of God. I've seen God face to face. And his name is changed. And this is the place that I believe God has called us to preach to you, to exhort you, to encourage you to enter into. I'll read some more things I've written down here. It says, The 7th century apocalyptic prophet known as Jeremiah speaks by the Spirit of God of a spectacular last day return of the Jewish people. Not to Jerusalem and the temple, that comes later, but rather returning to a phrase in English referred to as the hope of the fathers. You can open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 7. I'll read it to you. Jeremiah chapter 50, let's start at verse 4 through 7. In those days and that time declares the Lord. Now, what days? What's so exciting about Jeremiah 50, this is the prophecy about Babylon. This is when Babylon is being judged. You say, is that happening now? Without a doubt, Iraq, which is modern-day Babylon, is under judgment, under chaos, Under confusion, okay? Only God knows what's going to happen in Iraq or modern-day Babylon in the days ahead. It's a mammon system. It's the oil revenues. It's the petrodollar. It's all this mammon system, okay? When this is happening, something's going to be triggered inside the Jewish people. Now, as I've been traveling to the Middle East uh, the last few years, I'm starting to see Jewish people, and even Israeli Arabs and others, Palestinians, opening up to the gospel message. There's something happening within them that is triggering this. And it says here in verse 4, In those days, at that time, declares the Lord, the sons of Israel will come, both they and the sons of Judah as well. They will go along weeping as they go, and it will be the Lord their God they will seek. What is going to cause the Jewish people to weep and to come back looking for God? It says in verse 5, They will ask for the way at Zion, turning their faces in its direction. They will come that they may join themselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. So here are the Jewish people. They're going to be coming back, not to Jerusalem, but Zion, okay, to something that David encountered. They're going to be coming all the way back, weeping in a migration, an awakening. And you and I need to be ready for that. Hallelujah. We need to be ready to bring them, to teach them who Jesus really is in this hour. Glory to God. Now it says in verse 6, my people have become lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have made them turn aside on the mountains. They have gone along from mountain to hill and have forgotten their resting place. And that, without a doubt, is the number one problem in the church today. I'll get to the synagogue pattern and Judaism in just a moment. But in the church today, and as as I travel extensively the last 15 years, been in ministry for almost 24, 25 years now, is that I was born again under an open heaven, a theophany. The Lord Jesus came to me, the God of my fathers, hallelujah, in a a college revival. The heavens were opened up. I was instantly born again, instantly transformed, instantly delivered, hallelujah, and I haven't stopped running full blast since then. And uh, what I've noticed as I've traveled and spoke is that there was a lot of people that know about Jesus, okay, or have had experience with Jesus, but most of our Sunday church services or the modern congregational system that's been built up in the West, that quote, quote, that we call church, really does not lead people into the deep waters of rest. Do not bring them into a place of deep maturation in the Holy Ghost. It rather is more a little tidbit, a a PowerPoint, a nice sermon, a nice, you know, a few kumbayas and amazing grace songs, whatever. And what we call worship really is a hyped up uh, concert and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we don't see this. We see a very high highly polished, timed machine, manipulated, okay, to appeal to your senses, for you to give money, for you to be a part of something, okay? And again, we're, we're raising up people that are letter carriers instead of spirit carriers. Come on, folks, you know what I'm talking about is true. Leaders out there, you need to repent, okay? We need to get God's people into a deep, deep resting place in the spirit. We cannot forget this place. This is what it's all about. Those Pentecostal, charismatic churches that I'm speaking to right now, you're birth- place hallelujah was azusa street okay it was in these spontaneous heaven meetings glory to god where the spirit of god was in control but we've fallen so far away from this place we need to come back to this house of prayer in this hour hallelujah to bring god's people back into this experience or we're just playing church we're just building a house that we're laboring in vain let's build god's house in this hour hallelujah you know what i'm talking about come on Begin to pray, begin to intercede, begin to thirst for this realm because it's our realm. And unfortunately, most of the when I, seminary training I had and, and the men and women that I went to seminary with, uh, unfortunately, they've been, you know, you get an MDiv, you become a master of divinity, but they don't have a divine experience with God. Uh, they 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 try different techniques and tactics and winds of doctrine, and the sheep are tossed to and fro by every cunning craftiness of man. Let's be honest about it, okay? Uh, the overhead wags the dogs, you know, the tail. Um, uh, w- people are led by the money and by the numbers, and not by a, a manifest, visible visitation of God. Hallelujah! You say, well, well, that's rare. How, we can't control that. The Bible says, if we draw near to Him; He'll draw near to us. Hallelujah. And this is available for every one of us in this hour. So it goes on and says here, My people were lost sheep because of the shepherds. And I want to encourage the shepherds, watch it. You need to repent. You need to come back to your first love. You, you need to throw away, even get out of the organizations that do not want to flow with the precious Holy Spirit in total abandonment to Him. You need to reach that place, that climax of self-abandonment where the Spirit, hallelujah, is your total guide, your total comforter and your services are totally spirit-led, hallelujah, and you disciple people in the winds of the spirit. You know, the Lord told me many years ago, he said, unless my people have a strong contact point of me in my spirit, their minds will stay suspended in the cares of life, and they'll never learn to put to death the lower nature. And it's very interesting, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, uh, all those who are being led by the spirit are the sons and daughters of God. What does that mean? Uh, We There's a large, secret-sensitive church here in this area, and most of the people I meet at the gym or at the store or on the streets uh, that go to this church, they don't know the Holy Spirit. They don't know how to crucify their flesh. They're, They're caught up in a social gospel message. And so what am I trying to say to you? You're not a son and daughter of God unless you put to death the deeds of the body. If you're being led by the Spirit to mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. And all who are being led to mortify the deeds of the flesh these are true sons and daughters of god meaning i don't care how much you speak in tongues or prophesy or dreams or visions you need to be moving into a place of consecration putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the spirit you shall live and so we don't have enough teachings on how to die to self by the agency of the holy spirit hallelujah i pray that these teachings will help you do that Go so back to what i'm saying the hope with their fathers it actually the very word used "hatikva." for the hope or what the uh, national anthem of israel the secular jewish community came up with an anthem which is a beautiful anthem i'm not against it I'm not saying it's bad but they came up with an anthem talking about coming back to the land of their fathers and this is our land and this is our hope and whatever it's kind of a luminous philosophical hope okay but the jewish people in this hour are getting disenchanted Young people leaving the army in Israel, going to India other places, they're disenchanted with this land. The land is under such corruption, okay? Zionism is a fading away dream. So there's got to be something else than just a hatikvah, or just the idea of making aliyah, that's going to cause the Jewish people in these last days to come back weeping, weeping, looking for the hope of their fathers. Now I recently found out that this word hope is also the same word used in the ancient shepherding terminology, hallelujah, of a place of gathering the sheep, meaning as you go through the wilderness of Judea and that Midbar, that desolate area, you have to find the water springs, the oasises. And when you find those water springs and oasises and you bring the sheep into uh, this gathering point, you have to, you know, lead them to the green waters. The green pastures, and drink of the pure waters, and then they lie down as nocturnal animals. But you've got to make sure before the nightfall comes as a shepherd to get them into a secure cave or a gathering point, because you're about to go under major warfare. It's called the valley of the shadow of death, Psalms 23, where the lions and the wolves, the jackals, or even the bears, they come out at night to feed where? At the watering hole, because that's where the sheep are. Okay, so the desert shepherd warrior is you have to know where the waters are moving. Okay, you have to bring the people into a, a deep resting and saturation experience in those waters, and then you've got a battle for them at night when the wolves and the jackals come out. Hallelujah. And so what we see here is that this hope of the fathers is, is a place, is a secret place in the desert. Hallelujah. And uh, it's very interesting right now. Let me read a couple more things here. The questions we must ask ourselves if there is was becoming a spectacular migration of the Jewish people back to their ancient homeland, and beyond that, back to the hope of their fathers, we must ask, number one, why, what is so powerful that will cause the Jewish people to weep and diligently seek out a barren and desert area in the current wilderness of Judea that only currently Israeli Bedouins infrequently pass through? What's going to cause Jewish people not to go up to Jerusalem? but go into this Bedouin desolate area. What's going to cause them to migrate to that? Number two, what is so powerful that will cause the Jewish people to bypass Jerusalem and the city of David and instead go out into the harsh pasture lands of the wilderness area? Why are they migrating with such determination and weeping? The third thing we must ask ourselves, what, it, what is so powerful that even the enemies of God will use this place as a standard of whether they are guilty or not for the afflicting judgment on the way of Jewish people. I mean, they will justify themselves saying, Eve see these people, they're even backslidden. That's why we've been devouring them. Very interesting. And verse 4, why have we not heard more about this place by the current apostolic prophetic movement of Western Christian Zionism? Okay, here we go. Let me say this to you. The modern Christian Zionistic movement, okay, and you can see this throughout Christian TV today and the Christians that are gathering to support Israel, is good in all that it has done. However, they've still not brought the Jewish people back to the true Aliyah. We must go to the next level and bring and facilitate the Jewish people past the natural Jerusalem monument of today and out into the bordering desert area to have a one-on-one experience with the great I Am in the no-man's land. Hallelujah! This is called in technical, lang- in technical theological language as a divine theophany. And the modern, man-pleasing, seeker-sensitive, manipulating, spirit-quenching, number-driven movement of today's Western Christian circles, okay, does not support this type of migration. Let's be honest about it and repent tonight. Many people that are involved in the Christian Zionistic movement are not bringing God's people into a deep encounter with the hope of their fathers, which is a place in the desert where the Theophanies came. Okay, And they're not, not even much less even telling them about Jesus. Because I believe the greatest form of anti-Semitism, brothers and sisters, is to help Jewish people make aliyah, is to help them with their needs, but not tell them who their Messiah is because of fear of man or of wanting to build up a Christian institution uh, in Israel and be in bed with the prime minister's office politically and favorably, okay? And knowing that the Jewish people Are enemies of the gospel. When you start talking about Jesus, your position in the land, your relationship with them is threatened. We need not back off the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. It is the power of God unto salvation. We need Christians in this hour to rise up. We've already proved ourselves of loving them. I know, listen, I'm from a Jewish background. I know I was persecuted as a young man in Tulsa from quote, quote, Christians. I understand the persecution. I understand the pogroms and the Holocaust and one of the greatest thorns of Jewish persecution has been the, quote, quote, the church. I understand that. But we have proved our love over and beyond the last 15, 20 years that the true friends of Israel today are the Christian Zionists. We've already proved our solidarity with them. We now need to, with weeping and supplication, begin to preach the gospel to them, that Jesus is the Messiah. And not a gospel of fitting them into a Western church service where they celebrate Easter instead of Passover, okay? Uh, Or even trying to plug them into uh, a dry, dead-end Messianic congregation that doesn't understand the one-new-man concept. What I'm talking about is the cloud is moving. Thank God for the past revivals. Thank God for the past church movements or waves of the spirit thank god for messing at judaism that has sprung up okay but we got to keep moving with the cloud now and the cloud right now is all about the one new man male and female jew and gentile one in the messiah hallelujah that are carriers of the hope of the fathers that are shepherds on the on the uh, order of the judges that know how to do counterterrorism and take on the terrors of the night hallelujah and then take god's people as they're weeping not up to jerusalem Not into the synagogue pattern, but bringing them out into the desert. Hallelujah. Where they can go back one-on-one with the God of their fathers. Hallelujah. This is where we're moving, brothers and sisters. Let me read a few more things to you. It says here uh, that I wrote this morning um, that this place is only reserved for those not just who are thirsty for the move of God, but those who tremble. At his word in utter godly terror. It says in Isaiah 66 that God, you know, he made the heavens or his throne. Earth is his footstool. Where's the house you're going to build for me? Where's the place that I, Jewish publication says, fix my presence. So all this God made, but he is looking to fix his presence. Hallelujah. What an honor. Fix his presence with those who tremble and are humble at his word. Develop a humility, drip a trembling as you read God's word, hallelujah, because this is what's going to draw God's presence, draw in the Jewish people in this late hour. It goes on and says here that I wrote, so far there is very, very little for the majority of Jewish people today to really desire to return back to, not only in current Western Christianity, or I call it churchianity, but even in their own synagogue and Jewish community centers. Now, I want to read to you an interesting article about a trend that's happening among the Jewish people worldwide right now. It came from the Jerusalem Post, and it's February 2007, just last month. I want to read this to you. The next core institution of Jewish life. Open your eyes, and you will see a Jewish big bang. The genesis of a new historic Jewish institutions. Why this new creation? Jewish institutions reflect Jewish history and they change as Jewish history changed. Every core institution reflects three key factors, the historical condition of the Jewish people, their primary religious theological worldview, and their type of leadership. While these factors are ever changing, only a few times in Jewish history have they changed so drastically that old institutions were no longer adequate and new institutions were born. We are living in such a time. So what they're talking about here is that the Jewish people came out of Egypt out of slavery. They built, under God's command, the dwelling place, okay? The tabernacle, and they traveled around. And then as things changed, as they came up into the temple complex, and they wanted a king, and out of that king, the king decided to build a temple, okay? And they changed into the temple complex. But later we see, after the Maccabean time period, with the Sadducees, there was a rebellion, so to speak, or people launched away from the temple system into the synagogue system, which was built by the Pharisees. Jesus was more on that pattern than he was the temple pattern of the Sadducees. And so now what they're saying here is that the Lord himself is beginning to reveal himself to the Jewish people, not in the temple or even the synagogue pattern now, but in outdoor retreat centers. Hallelujah. This is amazing. And uh, they're talking here about how even after the latest institution that is trying to bring people back to their God is the Holocaust Center in Jerusalem. But let's go to the next part here. They're saying here, that the retreat center is the next central institution struggling to be born. Retreat center programs transform people's lives. The power of a retreat is the outgroup of the same characteristics that make day schools, camps in Israel, travels, and studies so impactful. The retreat center provides a total Jewish environment. This distinctive world makes the Jewish message central and natural rather than marginal and abnormal. Okay? This program brings together the charismatic Jewish role models and inspiring peers with whom one bonds forms a living community. Hallelujah. It says here, properly done, the retreat experience has the power to create a community for such people as well. Retreats can be tailored to specific audiences. The center of the transdenominational or post-denominational setting, okay, for all Jewish people is the retreat center. This center is not associated with an inherited religious message. It can communicate the presence of a hidden God. Hallelujah, with less resistance from secularized Jews. This is amazing, brothers and sisters. And you can read this on Jerusalem Post out of February 2007. What I'm trying to get at is this: is that the the core of Jewish life, even now, is changed. Has changed, okay, from last century, two centuries ago, from the temple period to the synagogue institution in the last 2,000 years, and they're now moving to retreat centers. What's happening, and we need to be people of the Spirit that move where the Spirit's about to go. It says in Ezekiel 1, the four living creatures moved where the Spirit was about to go. What I see developing is Jewish people are beginning to hunger for what they say the hidden God And they're going into retreat centers. They're going into the desert. They're going into wilderness areas, hallelujah, to have instruction, to seek God. Brothers and sisters, this is exactly what's happening right now. We are moving into a new paradigm shift in Jewish ministry that Jeremiah spoke about. In the last days, there was going to come a migration of Jewish people from the synagogue pattern, okay, from the traditional institutional Jewish home pattern, okay, into the wilderness to look for what? And this is what I want to conclude with tonight. They are looking for this place called there. Go with me to Genesis 28, 11. And in Genesis 28, 11, uh, of course, this is written by Moses in retrospect by the Spirit of God. But it says here in Genesis 28 and verse 10, Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he's now going all the way up into the Persian-Syrian area, Okay, leaving his family and his house because of his uh, situation with his brother Esau. And verse 11 says, and he came to a certain place and spent the night there. Now what's fascinating, you can see this in English translation, that it's called the place. That Moses makes reference, not just to a place he came and sat down and got a rock and went to sleep and had an open heaven visitation. He's calling this the place. And as I looked up this Hebrew word, we notice that this is the same place that Abraham made his first sacrifice when he came to the land in Genesis 12. This is the same place that Abraham again revisited, okay, when he looked out over the area of Sodom and Gomorrah. So what we're seeing here is that this is the place that was known about by Jacob already. So when Moses writes of this place, it was a place called the place, or it was a mystical, it was an open heaven place that Jacob was comfortable in settling down and going to sleep, and his desperation to contact God, okay, because of the incredible confusion and dysfunctionality that happened in his family, especially with Esau, going after him. And it says in verse 11, he came to the place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and laid down in that place. Now, why did he do that there? Why did he go into the city called Luz, which is right close by? It's because he's trying to contact his original DNA of why he is on earth. He's trying to contact the God of his father, Abraham, okay? And it says in verse 12, and he had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out to the east, to the west, to the east, the north, and the south. And in you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is the same covenant promise that he gave to Isaac, God gave to Isaac and Abraham. And it says, behold, I am with you and I'll keep you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back to the land for i am not leave you until I've done what I promised with you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven." So what I'm getting to is that there's a reason why we see a stream of thought here uh, of confirmation that Abraham did sacrifices in this place. Isaac did sacrifices in this place. Moses called this the place, okay? And he slept here, okay? Trying to connect in this time of desperation and the awesomeness of God happened. There is a zone, brothers and sisters. There is a place, an open heaven where it transcends natural time where you can be caught up and meet the God of our fathers and it's called a theophany. And this is the exact place in the Bible that Jeremiah talks about. There's going to be a mass migration. I'm so excited about it. A mass migration of Jewish people back to this place, the hope of their fathers, the gathering point of where their original DNA as Bedouin-type people, nomadic like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, traveling in the desert, having theophanies from heaven, hallelujah, because we don't see those theophanies very much during the temple period. We see the prophets prophesying against the false prophets and the system and the people going wayward. But there was a time, hallelujah, when Israel was young, where she followed her God, where she was betrothed in the wilderness, Jeremiah says, and they followed God and there was these divine theophanies hallelujah and this is our original dna this is where god revealed himself to abraham isaac and jacob this is the faith of our fathers that the jewish people are going to migrate back to weeping and crying out for shepherds to lead them this way hallelujah that's you and i let's let's marshal ourselves up with strength with energy to meet this moment to bring them hallelujah to the gate of heaven to the place which is jesus the Messiah. And he goes on and says here, how awesome this place. And he, the Bible says that he rose up early in the morning, he poured oil over this place, and he called it Bethel, or in Hebrew, Bethel, the house of God. Now, I've said this many times before. Uh, when the Lord appeared to me in September 2005 at our current congregational building, and we were about to you know start a new thing and you know get different types of services going on Sunday and all these things, and God just came and interrupted my life and says, I don't want you to build this type of Western church here just to raise support for you to go to Israel. And uh, it was a theophany. And the Lord came to me, and he said, build my house of glory, and he disappeared. And then every scripture on house or synagogue or temple or church went through my mind in a nanosecond. And I just knew something had happened. I cannot try to build a worse church system. We have to go back to our original DNA. So the first time house is mentioned in Genesis is right here, Beit El. The house of God. Did he see a house? Did he see a temple? Did he see a building? No. So why do they call it a house of God? Because the word bait in Hebrew is not just a four-walled structure. It's a place where you dwell and live. Meaning this place that Moses said, that place. Hey, I don't even know what to call it. That place is where God dwells. This is where God lives. Hallelujah. And so and he spontaneously said, verse 22, I'm going to give a tenth to whatever you give me, Lord. Bring me back to this place. I'm so in love with you. I'm gonna give a tenth to you. And so in conclusion tonight, I just want, you know, to you guys, I love you guys, and this is part of that early morning manning teaching, and I don't understand it all, but I'm getting little bits and pieces of this puzzle coming together. We are on the verge of a massive move of the Holy Spirit. I was in Tel Aviv uh two weeks ago, and I had a little jet lag. I was sitting on the balcony of the hotel looking just crowded corner to, to Yafo, where Peter had that open heaven experience. wasn't even thinking about it. And then right closer to the, the hotel building was the U.S. Embassy, and I was just looking at a beautiful starlit night, and suddenly the heavens opened and clouds began to pour down like the like Niagara Falls. It just started coming down. And I started yelling, lead! get up, look at this. And the Lord just came, he arrested me. I, I can feel a little bit of the fear, holy fear like Jacob did. He arrested me and I was he was fearful and he says, I am now pouring out my spirit on the Jewish people like never before. And that day we went and looked at a house and property and said we just felt like we're gonna look on anything else this is it let's just move here and start our ministry and our family right here and so we're raising funds for this of course you need to call me uh, at 770-777-0143 or email me at sh at dot if you'd like to invest in this place okay where we can train up desert warriors and shepherd people but even more than that brothers and sisters christian zionism has been great helping Jewish people make aliyah, supporting them in their time of trouble right now. Let's go to the next level now. We need to become those desert shepherd warriors that will help bring the Jewish people as they're migrating out of the synagogue. Just like this Jerusalem Post article said, they're leaving the synagogues, going to retreat centers in the wilderness, looking for the secret unknown God. What is their DNA? They're being stirred up and they're going to come weeping, looking for this new covenant and we can guide them to this place. These theophanies. This DNA that began God's covenant with man. Hallelujah. Pretty exciting, brothers and sisters. Stay tuned. We've got more coming to you. Thanks for listening in. Study this out. And uh, we'll be talking to you real soon. There's more to come. Shalom, shalom.
0: I want to thank you for being a part of Rivers in the Desert International, listening to our message today to you. Perhaps you have a friend, perhaps yourself are sitting there and wondering, where would I go if I died today? We'd like to give you a great privilege of praying with us and leading you to a knowledge of Jesus the Messiah. The Bible says if any man or woman would call upon the name of Jesus, they would be saved. The Greek word for saved is healed, delivered. It's a wonderful promise. You're there now in your automobile, perhaps at home listening Go ahead and pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to forgive me of my sins. The Bible says, if anybody would call upon your name, they would be saved. I'm calling today, Lord, save me, forgive me, cleanse me, take all of my sins and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Father, I'm coming running home to you now. In your name I pray, amen.
1: If you'd like to contact us in our ministry, you may do so by writing us at Rivers in the Desert, P.O. Box 2788 in Alpharetta, Georgia, 30023 in the United States of America.